kind of an idea of what's going to happen. Uh, and then sometimes what happens is God decides things are going to change. Well, moments ago, as I was praying, things began to change about the message that I have for you today. And here's what's wild about it is I have no real idea what that means. So I'm going to ask you a favor. Um, and that's this, before I explain why I'm barefoot, for those of you that weren't here last week and don't know this strange person in front of you, um, please, just as a body, if you'd pray with me, uh, just to open ourselves up this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we know that you have a place for us today and that you want to lead us there. Would you, um, in your wisdom, allow us to hear you well enough to get there? We open ourselves up as best we can to hear you today. In Jesus' name. And I'm going to save the amen. The reason I'm not wearing my shoes. (laughs) The reason I'm not wearing my shoes is a few years ago. Oh, by the way, sorry. My name's Scott Hare. Uh, and and uh, I am the pastor of the North Community of Alma Heights. It's called Riverside. And uh, it's a privilege to be with you here today. David, the senior pastor, uh, of course, is out teaching there today. Uh, he could not not come out. We're, we're doing a series on the Bible called The Story. Uh, we have two chapters on David. Uh, and he couldn't not. He just had to go out and teach him. And I, well, okay, I also begged him to do it. So uh, he's out there teaching uh, the North folk uh, about... Um, David, and so I get to be here with you, and it is a great privilege uh, to be here with you. Uh, for those of you that don't know where um, Riverside is, uh, for if you're an Alamo Heights person, as I said earlier, if you live in 09, it's two passport checks north uh, is where you'll find it. Uh, it's just uh, by an HEB out there, but uh, it actually is a little ways, And um, but it's good to be with you here this morning. The reason I'm not wearing my shoes is a couple years ago I was convicted uh, that uh, as Moses approached the burning bush, God spoke to him and said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And so as a pastor, I really do feel like when I move into this time in which we're going to teach the Word, it's not about me, it's not about a plan, it's about being prepared and listening well uh, and, and being reverently uh, walking in this. And so this is a way that I remind myself that I'm walking into that place uh, and I don't ever want to um, do anything but follow Him in that. Um, The second part about it is, I really think of it as a prayer. I really hope that this would be holy ground for us this morning, for all of us, uh, and that God would speak to us today. Would you stand as we say the Shema together? Jesus would have said this at the beginning and the evening every day, and probably multiple times. We said a little different, but we'll say it in the way we've become accustomed. If you've never said it before, we're about to speak a little Hebrew. Uh, I like to say watermelon when I don't know what people are saying. So um, join us, though, as you can read it in the bulletin. Uh, I'll repeat. I'll say a little bit, and you can repeat after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Go ahead and have a seat. Sometimes I get lost. Completely lost. 
And I have a pretty decent sense of direction, but I get lost. It happened to me not too long ago. I actually was trying to get to a place where I was invited to speak, and I was on the way, and I just kind of lost my way. And the deal was I was supposed to be out on the north side of Canyon Lake. Never been there before. Uh, and so I thought I kind of knew where I was going, and then I didn't. And the way that I found out that I didn't is my four-lane highway went to a two-lane highway, went to a two-lane road, and the next thing you know, I was on the end of a boat ramp and realized this is not where I was intended to be. Now, this weird thing happened, and it happens to me every once in a while. I'm excited because it means I get to pull out my great big map book, which I was given for Christmas not too long ago, so that I would end up finding my way. I reach under the little thing, I whip out my big map book, and I, I make the traffic behind me of people getting into the... It's crazy, but I've got this massive map book. I'm a little bit panicky, and I'm just trying to find my way to where I'm supposed to be. That's essentially what's going on. And it dawns on me that I do this, in other ways all the time, when I'm lost in other ways all the time. And those are a lot more difficult. And it's like this. See, I get lost in relationships. I start to think that someone's anger at me is about me. (laughs) Sometimes it is, legitimately. Ask my sweet wife. (laughs) There are definitely times when she's got a legitimate right to be angry with me but a lot of the time in the relationships in our world people's anger has a whole lot to do with more with what's going on with them than it does with us and when we take it personally it creates this crazy spiral in our lives of this anger stuff that just goes crazy and so often I get lost in that and I end up actually adding to a person's pain instead of relieving it. I get lost sometimes in the relationships with my kids. I mean, I love them so much. But I can have really long days where I'm really strung out and as prayerful as I hope to be and as loving as I hope to be and as invested as I hope to be, sometimes when they say that disrespectful thing, I don't handle it like I should. And I find myself apologizing to my children. And I know that's a great strength to be able to do that. We all are called to at times. But man, I don't ever like to do the thing that forces or invites the apology. That's no good. Sometimes when I'm talking uh, to my wife, um, I'm not terribly thoughtful. She'll say something and I'll respond in such a way that just cuts her. I can see it. I can see in her eyes the pain, and I just think, oh, I did it again. Sometimes I'm not even sure what I did. I just feel kind of like a spiraling idiot at times in the middle of our bedroom. I feel lost. I don't want to hurt her. Somehow I did, and now it seems to be making it worse every time I say, what did I, and, I, and not knowing seems to make, you know, Sometimes I'm at church and we're, we're, we're leading, we're doing, we're all this, and I end up doing things and I get lost and I think, oh, what's going on? How did I get so far out here? How did I get to the end of a boat ramp when I'm supposed to be in the parking lot of a church? How did that happen? 
I didn't mean to. I just ended up here. And so I, I, I go and I go, good grief, I've got to figure it out. And so I, I run over and I pull out and I get this big Bible. And I, well, this one's little, but uh, let's say, we'll get the big Bible right here. And I whip it out like that, like that map book, okay? And I'm going to try to find my way now. And that gets encouraging, but also excruciatingly frustrating at times, doesn't it? I mean, the truth is, While the Bible is the thing that articulates into our hearts, we don't read it, it reads us. And the power of it, if we try to use it to find our way, sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating. And I think it's because of this. I think we approach it in an awkward way. We approach the Bible in a way that says, what we need to do is look in the Bible for our answer and then the steps to get there. Just like we do a map book. Okay, I'm here and I think I need to be here. Flip, 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 flip. Yes, here. Now, how do I get from here to there? And we end up using it. It's real weird. God taught me something this week. He said, you know what? The Bible isn't about helping you find your way. I said, what? The Bible's not about helping you find your way in the way that you think. The Bible is about you finding your way to me. And I will lead you to where you need to be. I need you to release control so that I can lead you to where you need to go. That's what it means to have God as our shepherd we release our lives we give over ourselves we give away those things that we think we want to have control of and we say god you are the shepherd we've been talking about lessons from the desert and there's some amazing desert lessons that have to do with shepherds astonishing things, really. Things that when we begin to learn what a shepherd looks like in the desert can help us to understand how God might lead us. But that early picture that everything from the Bible to prayer to our conversations to to everything in this room is designed not for us to have anything but a relationship with the shepherd so that we might not so that we might know how to move in this world. The only way to, to find our way in the desert, the only way to find our way out of the desert, the only way to survive the desert is to have and follow the shepherd. There is no other way. God does some crazy things when you look at the shepherd picture, which is the number one picture that He uses in the Bible. Shepherds do great things uh, in the desert. See, because in the desert, sheep are dumb. Now, I think that's kind of funny because uh, actually sheep are dumb everywhere, even not in the desert, if you've ever hung out with sheep. Uh, So it's always great when we're called sheep all the time. I always think, gosh, if you've been around sheep, that's not necessarily a compliment. Um, But there is this kind of experience uh, that goes along with that. Shepherds in the desert have to take care of their sheep in ways that are really detailed. One of the things that they have to do is they have to make sure that they rest and they have to make sure that they are in, in areas where there's food. And so what they'll do is they'll actually bring them to a place and force them to take a rest. There'll be a time when they have to stand still. So they'll, they'll sometimes pin them in or sometimes they'll do all kinds of things to keep them so that they'll rest. And I think about that picture and I think, you know what that picture is? 
That picture is Sabbath. The picture is this ancient picture that we sort of discount and say, oh, I get my Sabbath in the 15 minutes on Saturday morning that I have my coffee and paper. When God said, not only should you take one, but I'll take one a whole day. Trust me with that, will you? The shepherds in the desert ask those sheep to rest. They rest in uh, these, these crazy places too. I mean, the, the way that they rest is really kind of fascinating. Um, but uh, the, the, the actual places are great too. If you go to the desert, you will find, as David taught weeks ago so beautifully, about green pastures. Do you guys remember green pastures? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't, essentially, my idea of a green pasture is, well, a pasture that is green. That is what comes to my mind, and I know I'm simple, but that's kind of the way that it rolls. But that is not at all what a green pasture looks like in the desert. What a, a green pasture looks like in the desert, because you're not out in the fields, you're not out in the flatland. You are out in the edges of the desert where the mountain regions begin. Why? Because you farm the flatlands. So you don't want the livestock in them. Remember, the farmer and the rancher get along. You've seen Oklahoma. That's the way that this actually has to work out. So you're out in the, the kind of early mountainous regions and there's just not a lot of lush grass. It's just a little bit growing from dew around the bottoms of rocks in the edges of the desert. When you walk up to one of these things, you don't even see green. And there are sheep all over it. You have to walk right up to it to be able to see the shoots of grass all over the place. And you realize how important a shepherd is. Because a shepherd has to know where those places are amongst a wasteland where there is enough to eat. And as David said so beautifully, enough for today. So often in our lives, what we really want is really big destination-like answers. Who am I supposed to be? How many children am I supposed to have? Should I do this? Should I do that? And we... We, we come to God like He's either a good luck charm or some sort of genie. And we ask Him all this. And God says, green pastures. Enough for today. That's really all you can handle. I'll guarantee that because now that I have four children and would have never expected to have four, if I would have looked back at the time when Kathy and I just got married and I would have said, Lord, how many children are we going to have? And he said, four. I'd have said, you better be lying. But, green pastures. Enough every day. And as I leave today, though it's full, our home is full of peace. And laughter. And spilled juice. There is this picture then of, uh, that, that comes with paths of righteousness. Maybe you've, you've seen these. Uh, I, I've read paths of righteousness all my life. And paths of righteousness are these interesting, you know, what is that? I guess that just means we're on the right track, you know, paths of righteousness. Turns out paths of righteousness actually exist. It's a term that comes from shepherds in the desert. And it's great to see. It's actually really fascinating. You come into this part of the world and you'll come to this mountain where, you know, it's green pasture, so it looks 
gray and rocky. Uh, and it's this massive hill, and there are sheep all over it. And you look really close, and after a while you begin to see as if somebody took some giant razor blade and just checked edges right all the way across, back and forth, back and forth across the length of this massive hill. You're thinking to yourself, wow, look at all that. And then you realize from one to another, for miles, these hills are covered with these jagged little edges all over the place that very clearly God did not put there. People did. And you ask, what are those strange little edges? And someone will say, those are paths of righteousness. Really? Yeah. What are they for? Well, see, sheep are dumb. Oh, yeah, we, we got that part earlier, you know, and I got that. But what they do is, is they always follow the voice of the shepherd. Always. In a straight line. I mean, sheep are different than goats. Goats find their own way. The shepherd makes a noise and the goat goes, eh, I'll think about it and then maybe eventually come and I can figure out how to get there. So I'll do it in my own way at my own time. And the goats end up leading sheep sometimes and getting, it's a big mess when you see the goats. They just, they're out of control and they don't know what they're doing. But the sheep are, are kind of amazing because what will happen is in the middle of this massive mountain, you'll see the shepherd on the edge, just way over on the edge. He'll make some little whistle, some little noise. And the sheep, wherever they are, will come directly to him or her. Actually, her more often in my experience. And they come straight Now, the important part of those paths of righteousness then become important because what will really happen is if the shepherd stands at the bottom of the hill, makes the same whistle, those sheep will tumble down that hill. Boom, boom, because they come straight to his voice. So over time, they've had to figure out how to get the sheep from the top and the bottom across the paths, across these green pastures. Really beautiful to see. So, if we're sheep in the desert, God is our shepherd. When He calls us, how do we respond? Do we say things like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Goat. I'll find my own way. I'm pretty sure there's another option that's going to work a little bit better for us and our family situation right now goat we don't have the money there's no way we could do that goat can't risk that can't be that I'm not that strong I'm not that big I'm not that good never asked you if you were all I said was come Happens all the time, really. It's happening to me over and over and over. Now that I, I know that that's the way we're supposed to follow, because <laughs> I didn't before, I thought I was supposed to go. I thought God was sort of the great suggester. You know, you know, Scott, I think that your life would be good if you thought about this general direction. No. God's like, do this. Okay, that's it. It's big crayons and a big chief tablet. I say that all the time. That's the way that it's supposed to work. When Jesus says come you come and you come in a straight line 
very liable to tumble down the hill. You know, um, what's crazy um, is, uh, you know, the, the paths of righteousness, as, as, as rich as they are, uh, when, when you're out in the uh, middle of the desert, uh, there is some serious danger. Now, over across history in different times, there are literally lions, believe it or not, uh, but there are all kinds of wolves. In fact, in Turkey, one of the interesting things is the shepherds actually travel with these dogs that are really famous, and they're really like the size of a small bear, and they have these uh, collars that have spikes on them out like this all around their neck, about the size of my fingers. When you come up on them, your job is to hold perfectly still and try to not get eaten. Um, that, and they're just massive things. Now, what's wild about them is that they have their whole lives, these dogs, for whatever reason, the bread in this powerful way, that all they do is protect the sheep from wolves, from everything else. That is what they do. Well, they don't have those dogs in Israel. In Israel, it is the shepherd that protects the sheep. And the sheep don't have to fear because the shepherd does everything he can or she can to just fight and destroy anything that comes against them. So often I think that we don't, we don't have that belief about God very often. We, we kind of distrust that. We, we end up sort of uh, finding again, like goats, our own way. We, pr- we try to create protective things and we think somehow we can protect our families. We can do this. We can have this alarm system. We can figure out exactly when, where they should and shouldn't go. We, should, uh, we, we get, become these kind of crazy controlling people, think that we have some sort of idea that we're going to be able to impact the world around us. And the truth is, the world around us is going to impact us one way or the other. Now, I'm not talking about being silly, but I am saying that there are times when we, we actually believe we have a whole lot more control than we actually do. People sometimes ask me, how can you travel to the Middle East as often as you do with four small children when it's such a volatile place? And I say, did you read the San Antonio newspaper this morning? If I go into the wrong place in San Antonio, I'm just as much in danger if I'm in the wrong place in Israel. You actually do a study. They did a study uh, and they they studied an, an area in the United States and, and Israel, and they compared deaths, including military deaths. And did you know that Chicago beat it three years in a row? Single city? Here's the real sad, this is an aside. Here's the real sad part about that. Every death in Israel is newsworthy. Not everyone in Chicago is. But there is this protective sense for God's people if we're following His voice this way. The rod and the staff, I think sometimes we think, are supposed to control the sheep. They're not. It says they're to comfort us. You know, when we're following God like that and we're, we're, we're actually moving with Him and, and He's leading us and we can hear His voice and how do we hear that voice? I mean, there's a couple of places. One is the place you can hear the voice is God's permanent address. We talked about it last week. We hear His voice in the Scripture. We actually read it and we know it. We let it become a part of us. And it does lead us. But as much as that, we're called to pray. To actually engage God and say, where am I to go? When He does that and we begin to follow Him, then crazy stuff happens. Crazy stuff. I mean, literally, when we're in the middle of arguments and fights, have you ever had somebody lie about you? 
ever had somebody slander you and, and totally rip you in, in front of all your friends and, and say this and say that and all that kind of stuff? And you know it's totally untrue. And, and people all around you seem to have these teeth that are coming at you. It's at that moment that if we know that we are following the voice of the shepherd, if we know that we are moving in such a way that the truth will bear itself out, there's this powerful picture that God is literally laying things out beautifully in front of us, even in the face of all of that ugliness. Sometimes to spite the ugliness that comes against us. One of the things in the desert is just simply survival. It's hard to know how you're going to survive really from one thing to another. So hospitality becomes crazy important. Ray Vanderland uh, travels all over the desert uh, in different places. And one of the things that he taught us one time is that he had gone out into the desert where there are some Bedouin Arab Muslims that lived. And he, uh, an American with a little backpack and a hat, by himself, walked out into the desert. And they met him at the edge of the territory. Now, what I'm thinking is, at this point, it's very dangerous. You know what they did? What you would expect if you lived there. They took him back to the leader that was in their families, in their community. They brought him there, and then they gave him the best tent to stay in and they gave him food and they protected him I've gotten to do this one of the first things that they do is give you this really hot sweet tea and you're warned about the tea by the way because if you finish the cup if you actually empty it they'll refill it every single time so if you're finished drinking the tea, you leave some in the cup. You see, to survive the desert, there has to be a hospitality that is overflowing. How do we receive the broken and the hurt in our world? How do we receive the people that don't look like us, that come from different places? Do you receive them with joy? Oh look, a guest. We get to bless them and bless the Lord with the way that we behave. Or do we say, whoa, who are the strangers? Cut them out. You know, they never asked Vanderland why he was there. They just blessed him. What does hospitality look like in the church? Is it radical and inviting? Do we truly believe that when people bring us their brokenness, it is the most powerful gift? And there's another picture. It's a picture of what we leave behind. Now, as a shepherd moves through an area, they want to improve the area. They want it to be better than it was when they got there. Now, I thought for a long time when I read the Bible that uh, this picture really meant that when I went someplace, it was because I was so good and that I did things so well that 
the thing was better because I was just that good and, and that on it. You know, I'm just, that's who I am. So let the world know that Scott was here and that things are better because I was present. Thank you very much. But here's the thing. If you're following the shepherd, <laughs> that's nothing to do with you. If you're following the shepherd, it's the shepherd's presence that changes it all. It's the, the actual picture of what happens when the shepherd is there that makes things good. It's his forgiveness and his mercy that overflow and come out of who he is that actually are being experienced. And you join in, you partner with him so that everywhere he goes, you go. And everywhere he is, things are good and merciful. And everywhere you are then is where he is. And so every step that you take across the entire scope of your life looks like beauty and joy and love and passion and hope and, and just the excitement of being alive and the adventure of being in this world and having purpose into your life. Because what you're doing is following a shepherd that knows the way in a desert that could destroy us all, but doesn't. And somehow, not only do we not survive, but we thrive in the thing. That's the shepherd that I follow. That's the pictures of what it means to be in the desert. That's the hope that he gives us from Psalm 23. So would you please stand and listen to these words. And think of the pictures of the desert. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for His rod and His staff, they comfort me. He spreads out a table in front of my enemies and anointeth my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's follow the shepherd. Let's hear his voice. Let's become his people. And stop just surviving the desert. Would you pray with me? Father, there are pictures and you've led us through this morning and I can only hope and pray that as you've shaped us, that you've spoken to us. Change us. Take the best of who we are, even in the hardest places, and lead us to great things, not because of who we are, but because of who we, you are. And when we're lost, Lord, help us to look for you. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.